thought much about this, but I want to provide you a bit of perspective on what it means to uh, finish a year well, but also, more importantly, I think, what does it mean to finish a day well? And I think we can find some insight from uh, a man. We're going to look at his life in a little bit and discover that uh, from his own life, we're going to look at some of his finish line words. And from that, I hope, just draw some encouragement and perspective for vital actions of the heart on how to finish well. This whole matter of how we end uh, life, how we end a day, how we end uh, perhaps a week is, is very, very important. I heard the story a number of years ago of a family that had a very, very rich tradition. Their tradition was that when the senior patriarch was near the end of his days, it was very, very important for the family to hear the wisdom of that senior patriarch. And they had this tradition, if possible, they would gather around his bed as he was uh, near the end of life. And they would listen for his final words, because in this family, uh, these patriarchs had passed on some tremendous wisdom. And so this patriarch was near the end of his days, and he was in his bed, up in his bedroom. And they had the tradition of, from the oldest to the youngest, they would line up in the house. And they would make their way out of the bedroom, down the stairs, into the living room, into the family room areas, the kitchen however long it took for to get to the youngest member of the household who could understand what the senior patriarch's final wisdom was. And so they were there on this day, and they knew the end was near. Senior patriarch is there, and the oldest uh, uh, son is near, next to his bed, and he senses that, that uh, dad is, is about near the end. And he leans over and he, he says, What are your words of wisdom for us, father? And his father says, Life is like a river. And so they would pass it down the line. They would just pass it down one to the other. Life is like a river. He said, life is like a river. Life is like a river. And it went down the stairs, into the kitchen, family room, all through the house. And at the end of the line, there was a young, kind of, you know, young upstart guy. He was uh, sort of very inquisitive, was always asking questions. And so the question, finally the word came to him, life is like a river. This young guy looks up and says, why is life like a river? So up the line it goes, all the way up the stairs to the, to the bedside of the senior patriarch. And they ask him, Father, before you go, we need to know, why is life like a river? And with that, he says, so life's not a river. And he dies. Now, I don't know if that's a true story or not, but uh, it, it's somewhat of a funny story if it is true. But, you know, the final words of someone are very, very important. And we're going to discover this weekend that from a man from the Old Testament, there are some final words that I think we can learn a great deal from. I want to introduce you to this fella. Uh, He is an individual who, um, as I introduce him to you, some of you are going to try to guess who it is. But this is an individual who was raised in a less than loving family. I don't know if that gives it away. There are several people in the Old Testament like that. He experienced uh, some things in his family that uh, many of us have experienced, some severe sibling rivalry. His early life was marked by some uh, great success, uh, but he was also, uh, after that great success, there were some problems that occurred, persistent and nagging problems. He knew times of profound joy. He also knew times of profound turmoil when all the props of his life were kicked out from under him. He was an individual who had some very, very close friends, but he also knew what it was to have those friends taken from him. Uh, he stared loss in the face throughout his life journey. He knew what it was to lose jobs and lose a career. He knew what it was to lose a home. 
At one point, he lost all of his possessions. At another point, he even lost his dignity. Some laps of his race were marked by God-honoring boldness. He did have some mountaintop experiences, while others, uh, times in his life, were marred by self-devised scheming. And at times, this individual was trying to survive at all costs. His mid-to-later-life resume included some incredible economic success, but also he knew some heartbreaking moral failure. He had profound loss and grief in the midst of that failure. He knew what it was to have grown children who were against him. He had family discord, fracturing. He also, in his leadership, knew what it was to engage in political intrigue. He had people who plotted against him. There was tremendous discord in the realm that he led. He also knew what it was to face home-centered rebellion. He was a great dreamer. And to the end of his life, he desired to do some great things for God. But even then, God stepped in and said, I'm going to allow your dreams to be carried on by someone else. Now, when you review a life like this, it reminds us of the principle that there are the story of any one of us is really the story of us all. In a sense, your story is unique. Someone has said, uh, we are all the same in our own unique way. So we are all the same. Uh, we're men and women who live in this world, and we go through life, we journey, and we all have unique elements of our story, but you know, in a, in a sense, all of our stories have some common themes. This story of this man, and his final words are recorded in First Chronicles chapter 29. Maybe you've guessed, maybe early on you thought it may be someone like Joseph, because that was part of his story, or Moses, because that was part of his story. This is the story of David. This was the flow of David's life. He had great ups, he had great downs. He had great victories, great failures. Uh, he had good days and bad days. He had days in which everything was going well. He had other days when he literally did, during a period of his life, lose everything. He lost his career, his position, his friendship, his status. He lost his possessions. He lost his marriage. He lost his home. And when you read David's story, you realize his, David's story describes the human condition. He reigned in Israel 40 years. He had a long and good life, but he also had a long and at times tough life. So the story of any one of us is the story of us all. And David's story is one I think we can identify with. In First Chronicles 29, uh, we find the final words of David. So it's as if Israel is leaning forward and they want to know David. What do you have to say to us? What do you have to say about life? Uh, what are your final words to us? What's your wisdom for us? And it's there in First Chronicles 29 we have the final words, the finishing line words of David. It turns out to be a prayer. And this prayer of David, I believe, contains three vital actions of the heart that I think I would encourage us to take hold of. At the end of an old year, as we think about what should we actually voice at the end of a year, what is it that we should voice at the end of a week or at the end of a day? Uh, how does David instruct us? How does he guide us? I believe there are three vital actions of the heart. Vital action number one is that David, at the end of his days, at his finish line, he looks up. Now, I want to let you know, we all have choices in terms of where we look at the end of a year. For some of us, we may be tempted to look backwards. We may be tempted to look back at this year of 2015 and our memories go into certain ruts. We, we have ruts, sometimes they're negative ruts. We think of all the things back there that have gone wrong. 
Or perhaps because of that, we look downward. We, we perhaps hold our head down and we wonder, you know, it's, it hasn't been the greatest year. Sometimes we may look within. Some people at the end of a year live with a lot of blame, a lot of self-blame, a lot of regret. And they wonder, I could have done that better. I could have run that particular lap with a bit more wisdom. I could have perhaps spent time in that particular period of this year in a much, much better way. So we look, we look back, we look down, we look within, we look around. David chooses at the end of his life, because in 1 Chronicles 29, at the end of this chapter, we're told David lived a long life. He reigned seven years in Hebron. He ruled 33 years in Israel, in Jerusalem. And then he died. And David here is saying, I want to let you know, my final words are going to be words in which I look up. The vital action of my heart is I'm going to look up. And here's what we discover. He begins by saying, praise be to you, O Lord. Praise belongs to you. You are the God of our father, Israel. This is David's way of saying, God, at this point of the finish line of my life, I want to acknowledge you're the God of our fathers. You are the God of the past. You're the God of history. You're the God of our history. You're the God over all of it. But not only that, you are from everlasting to everlasting. You're not only the God of time, you're the God of eternity. David just pauses and takes time to look up and remind himself of who God is. God of history, God of eternity. Let's go on. Let's look at the next phrases. He says, yours, O Lord, are these things. Greatness is yours. And glory is yours. And majesty is yours. And splendor is yours. These are bedrock convictions and bedrock descriptors that were deep in David's soul. I believe he lived many of his days with an awareness every day that the God who is, the God of history and eternity, is a God of greatness. He is a God of glory. He is a God of awesomeness, majesty. He's a God of splendor or beauty. And then he says this, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Let's go back to one slide. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. I want to camp on this for a moment. This is David's way of saying, you know, he, he in terms of his life, he doesn't take time on the finish line to review the stuff he's done, the good things he's experienced, the bad things he's experienced. He takes time to simply say, at the final finish line words of my life, I want to focus on who God is. And I want to acknowledge that everything in heaven and earth belongs to him, comes from him. He is creator. We are created. All that is created is mired and mixed up in this world that has fallen. There is beauty. There's wonder. But you know what? It's a world of the created that is filled with so much at times. Challenge and struggle and sadness. It's also filled with its, its dashes of beauty here and there. But I want to focus on the fact that everything in heaven and earth is his. It belongs to him. It comes from him. And this is David's way, I think, of acknowledging in his limited cosmology. David, you need to realize, David in the Psalms, you read the Psalms and you realize David looked up in the heavens a lot. You need to realize how limited his view of the universe would have been. He would have looked up at the heavens and thought, those stars seemed so touchable. Those stars seemed like we could reach out and just grab them. And, and he would look up at, at night, I believe, and he would remind himself, all of this, all of this belongs to God. It all comes from him. We, we have the advantage of 
these days, allowing the science of the universe, the cosmology, and also the science of our own being to fill us with more and more wonder than David could ever have imagined. If you explore the universe, we now have the ability to look out beyond anything David could have imagined. If we explore, in Psalm 139, David says, in his limited sense of physiology, he says, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. David probably looked at his own body and thought, you know, this is pretty amazing. He didn't have the advantage of molecular biology that we do. This is why I encourage students to let the science in. Allow the science to be something that you go deeply into because the science will reveal to you the glory and wonder and splendor and majesty of this one that everything is his. Everything comes from him. If you stop and think about it, we sit here today on this planet Earth. We tend to think it's a pretty big planet. But if you stop and think about our planet and you think of it in terms of the half, Half of a grain of salt, or a grain of rice. Take a grain of rice, break it in half, and uh, for illustration's sake, that represents the sun, about the size of a soccer ball. If you were to give proportion of the size of the earth to the sun, uh, you'd have to move that clock about to the back row, where you folks are. And that is the size of the earth in proportion to the sun by way of distance. Begin to realize that the earth is a pretty puny little thing. And then if you ask the question, for David, he would have marveled at the sun, the warmth of it. He would have marveled at the moon. He would have marveled at the stars. But for us, if we were to say, where where is the closest star to earth? Anyone know which one it is? Those of you science students here? You get free taxes in Creston if you can answer this question. (laughs) Actually, I can't do anything about that, but I'll I'll try. Talk to the mayor. The, The closest star is Proximus Centauri. It's 4.22 light years away. Just a mere 4.22 light years away. That turns out to be about 39 trillion miles. That's the closest star. If you were to get in your car today and go 100 kilometers an hour, and don't, you can't stop. You'll have to refuel along the way somehow. 100 kilometers an hour, you can't stop at Tim's for anything. You have to keep going. 100 kilometers an hour it will take you 49.3 million years. To get to the closest star... We have the wonder of the universe that we are beginning to just begin to grasp. And and David in his limited cosmology says, everything in the heaven and earth belongs to him. And David at the end of his life is simply reminding himself, this is the God who is. He then goes on to say this. Let's go to the next screen. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are the one who reigns. You are the one who reigns over all things. You are exalted as head over all. And David here is simply reminding himself that when you look at all that is, and even when David thinks of his own life, ultimately the range of God's effective will is fulfilled even in the midst of our human condition. God reigns over it all. And he's exalted over it all. David knew the wisdom in the song of the sons of Korah in Psalm 46 verse 10 Where the sons of Korah say, you know, when you look at all the earth and all the things that go on, the greatest wisdom is this, be still and know who God is. I want to say to you at the end of an old year, one of the greatest things that you can do as you anticipate a new year is take some time in the year that is ahead to deepen and broaden and strengthen your understanding of who God is. Nothing is more important to us 
than to understand more fully who God is. This regular daily kind of reminder. And I would say, when we talk about the finish line, when you think about the finish line of every day, what are we to do at the end of a day? I believe David sets a pattern here. We're to look up. We're to remind ourselves of who God is. This is what right-sizes everything in life. So often we have a problem-dominated mind, imagination. So often we look around, we look down, we look within, we look back. We get absorbed by all those things we see. We need to have a vision to see who God is. Because there are a lot of huge questions in life. When we wrestle with how we find peace and security in a world that seems increasingly insecure and unsafe. When we wonder how to navigate life in a world where right and wrong is shoved aside and confusing ideologies seem to claim the stage. When we ask ourselves, how do we find truth and justice in a world of evil and suffering? When we puzzle over how do we find power to live in a world that overwhelms us and at times saps our strength. When we struggle with how to find hope and clear vision in a world that is uncertain and ambiguous when we ponder how to find direction and purpose in a world that has no seeming direction, the wisdom of the writers of Scripture and David himself and the sons of Korah would say it is a very, very good thing every day to be still. Still your heart and know who God is. Remind yourself of who He is. Look up. Because that uplook is what shapes our outlook in life. As A.W. Tozer said, he wrote a book many years ago called The Pursuit of God. He believed this with all of his heart. He said, the one who comes to a true and right understanding of who God is, is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. There is something to be said for deepening and strengthening and broadening our understanding of who God is. And David does this. The finish line, his words are not about his life. They're not about the past. They're not about what's around him. They're not about the world. They're about who God is. And he looks up. And he looks up and reminds himself of this one who is his God. He does not have a problem-dominated imagination. He has a God-dominated imagination. He does not live with a horizon that is a low horizon. He has a broad view of who God is. This is the first action of the heart. Look up. The other two I'm going to deal with more briefly, and that is, in the next verses, what David does is he, he takes stock. He takes stock. He does a kind of blessing inventory. He looks around and he has taken time to remind himself who God is. He now takes some time to think through how God has blessed. Now David's at a good place here in 1 Chronicles 29. It's near the end of his reign. He's come to God and said, God, I want to build a house for you. And God says, David, no. I know that dream is in your heart. You're not going to do it. Your son is going to do it. And David gathers the people of God and he says, this is the, this is the good news. My possession is not a temple. It's not a building. It's God himself. My son's going to carry on the work. And he encourages the people of God to give, to give towards the building of this temple. He's at a good place. He's holding a full cup. And with that full cup at the pinnacle, in a sense, he's at a good place. He wants the people of God to know, you you need to realize who gets the credit here is not David. Who gets the credit here is God himself. And he says this, 
in this finish line, these finish line words, he simply stops and says, you know, if I have any wealth, if I have any honor, if I have any strength or power, I want you to know, I'm going to trace back this, the wires. You need to know something. Any wealth I have, any honor I have, any strength I have, any power I have, doesn't come from me. It comes from God. Ultimately, when you trace the wires back of your life, to realize that all you have and all that you are ultimately has come from the good hand of God. And David here is engaging in a kind of uh, final days of his life inventory audit kind of thing, and he's just simply reminding himself of who he is. His identity is that he's not the owner of things. He's a manager. He's been entrusted with, with the things God has given him. His responsibility has been to manage that well. At times he's done that. At other times he'd say, I haven't done that very well. And his responsibility is to then ultimately be accountable to the one who's given him all things. And David here is simply saying, these are the things where God is blessed. If there's been any wealth or enrichment, any honor or enhancement of my life, any strength, any endurance that I've had, any empowerment that I've had by way of power, it has come from the Father of heavenly lights from whom every good gift comes down. And David's simply taking stock. You know, it's a good thing at the end of a day, at the end of a year, to simply think about what, is, what has been given. Now, there are things that often have been taken, and maybe our attention at times gets focused on that. What is missing grabs our attention. David says, no, I'm not going to think about that. I'm going to think about what has been given. It's a good thing at the end of a day to briefly review and say, God, what did you give me today? Whatever I was given by way of opportunity, by way of blessing, by way of encouragement, by way of the means of life, by way of a salary, by way of... It ultimately has come from you. Because you are the one who gives these things to all. In your hands is the ability to give strength. And David just takes stock. That's what he's doing at the finish line. Then finally, David, in the final verse of this prayer, verse 13, let's go to the next... He gives thanks. He gives thanks. He simply says, now our God, we give thanks. And we praise your name. We praise your glorious name. We say thank you. And this is how David closes out his life. With a simple thank you. We praise you. I don't know if any of you have read the writings of Anne Lamott. Um, Anne Lamott's a marvelous writer. Um, came to faith in Jesus a number of years ago and uh, writes about her own faith journey in the midst of a family that uh, thinks she's crazy because of her allegiance and her honoring of Jesus Christ. Anne Lamott has said, I, I, I pray three prayers every day. And the first prayer is this, help me. Second prayer is thank you. The third prayer is wow. She says, I've learned in my day, my daily rhythm, every day I pray this, Lord help me. Lord thank you. And then she says, Wow. This matter of gratitude is a potent resource for living. Robert Louis Stevenson, the poet, said many years ago, the person who has stopped being thankful has fallen asleep in life. We must never fall asleep in life. And I believe one of the great ways to end set a day is to look up and take stock and then say, Father, I want to thank you for these things. I just want to thank you for the blessings that you've given I want to praise your glorious name for what you've done for me.
In every situation, John Claypool says, we all have a chance, a choice as to what we will maximize and what we will minimize. And the person who has learned to evaluate situations in terms of gratitude rather than despair is far better than all others to cope. I'd encourage you to end set this year with a time of thanksgiving. But I'd encourage you to end set your days in that way as well. Look up, take stock, say thanks. This is the way in which we take hold of vital actions of the heart. And I think as we do that daily, we are building a life that is learning to finish well. So I want to encourage you. Final screen. Look up. At this end of an old year, just take some time to remind yourself of who God is. He is the one who has created all that is. He is the one to whom glory and majesty and splendor and greatness and everything in heaven and earth belongs. That's who He is. And then remind yourself of what He has done, what He has given, how He has blessed. And then in simple terms, give thanks. I'd encourage you to do this at the end of each day. And as we do so, we are taking hold of what it means to live a life that finishes well. So that's my prayer for you. My prayer for us is that we would know what it is to finish well every day. Because what is a successful, effective life about? It's about living daily in this presence. And that is my prayer for my own heart, my prayer for you, that we would be this kind of people and that Erickson Covenant would be the kind of church that would be filled with men and women who are discovering how to live well each day as they worship and praise the God who's given us all things. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to simply transition to our time around the table and remind ourselves of that great gift that's been given by our Heavenly Father, the gift of His Son. So bow with me as I lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day that we can share together. We thank You for this year that uh, has been experienced by all of us. We have journeyed through a year, and the story of any one of us is like the story of us all. Father, we are David. We are like that one who many years ago could look back and see so much of what has gone on could have focused on those things, could have allowed his memory to get in the ruts of those experiences that maybe were harsh and hurtful. But Father, this day it's our desire to direct our hearts towards you, to look up into your face and to realize your glory and grace has given us all things. You've given us freedom and forgiveness and fullness through the death and resurrection of Jesus through the witness of the Old Testament and the Apostles, through the promises of that forgiveness and that fullness, you've offered to us the invitation to come and through repentance and faith to receive in a fresh way your grace for our lives even this day. Father, in a few moments we're going to share together and journey, make a short trip to a table where we will take bread and cup and be reminded that in the midst of all the things you've blessed us with, You've blessed us with the gift of life in the Lord Jesus. May we come to the table of Christ this morning, realizing that not only the blessings of life, but life itself has been given to us through your Son, the Lord Jesus. May we partake in faith, believing that you have offered life for us. Your body was broken so that we may be made whole. Your life was poured out so that we might know life within. 
So, Father, we pray we would receive in a fresh way today all that you've given to us in your Son, the Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name and for your sake. Amen. In a few moments, I'm going to ask the servers to come, and uh, we're going to provide you opportunity to just get up from where you are and go to one of four areas, two up here and two at the back. There will be servers there in just a few minutes. But we have the opportunity on this last uh, Sunday of an old year to gather once again at a table where there is bread and cup, where there is bread that reminds us of the Lord Jesus, whose birth we just celebrated. He came to this earth to save us from our sins. He came to this earth to mend all that is broken in the human condition. He came to this earth that was dark to bring light. He came to an earth that, when he entered this world, was anything but a silent night. It was a turbulent period of history. But he came in the midst of that darkness to bring light and love and grace and mercy to a world that desperately needed it. I love the words of Michael Green, written a number of years ago, in which he talks about the Christian faith. And he reminds us that the Christian faith is a faith for people like us. It is for fractured people. He said, is not the Christian faith for people who are fractured? It is unashamedly a repair religion. It is designed to enable the incapacitated to walk free. The greedy to become generous. The lonely integrated. The miserable comforted. The peaceless to know peace. And those who are alienated to know restored relationship. And it is Christ followers who affirm that the wood on which the crutch is fashioned will bear anyone's weight. There are times when you, in discussion with friends, they may say to you, your faith is nothing but a crutch. You need to agree with them. You need to say, you're right. It is that which I lean my entire life upon. It is wood on which the crutch is, that crutch is fashioned that will bear anyone's weight. It is well seasoned, says Michael Green. And so we're here today to come to a table and I encourage you to lean with your whole weight upon what this provision is for you. It is the life of Christ for you. His body broken, His blood shed for you. Lean on it with your whole weight. And perhaps this morning there is a need for you to, even at the table, receive again what Christ came to give to you. Life, fullness, freedom, forgiveness, perhaps healing. Come in faith, believing that Christ gives you all things in grace this morning. I'm going to ask the servers to come and to make their way